We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. back to Inside the Clubhouse. David Haw here with Bruce Levine every Saturday morning, 9 to 11, 52 weeks a year, talking baseball, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And, Bruce, we have another very special guest to join us on the Score Hotline, presented by Alpamani Ford, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APFord.com. The new voice of the marquee sports network for Cub Baseball Joining our good friend, J.D., the one and the only John Boog Shambi. Nice enough to take some time out on a Saturday morning to uh, do some chit-chatting with me and you, David. Good morning, uh, Boog. How are you today? Good morning, Boog. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Great. We're doing good. We're doing good. I know you're doing basketball today somewhere. I am. Aren't you? I am. I'm, are you th- I'm doing it are you there? live from my apartment. <laughs> who you got we i got texas and west virginia i got a good matchup 12 against oh, yeah. 13 so we got a good game um but yes live for my apartment so the atmosphere will be uh you know it is what it is yeah, I, what is Shaka Smart i think, think about i detected the cup <laughs> yeah man well it's, it's just I weird that, i mean you know yeah I think I detect uh, the same uh, sarcasm that I uh, present to everybody else myself after being uh, cooped up for 11 months uh, from Boog. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, when you're a people person like you are, Boog, uh, it, it's got to be you know, devastating because what we do is all about the people and uh, contacting and getting info from them, getting their trust, you know, building those great relationships. Um, it's been it's been a little different. You know, it's funny though because you say all that and and obviously I would agree with all of it but I don't think until I've gone through this that I realized how much that is the crucial part of this job. Look, I love baseball. Mm-hmm. I love baseball more than I love broadcasting. I mean, I just love baseball. But exactly what you said connecting with players, general managers, talking the game, getting stories, getting guys to tell me their stories because they trust me, humanizing the players, all of it. And the in-person interaction, you know, like just sitting here watching it off of a monitor does not satisfy what this game 
normally delivers. I just I starve for that in-person interaction. And even though I was aware of it, I don't think I recognized, at least in terms of for me, how much of what I enjoy about this job is being around the other humans and all the, the pieces of doing a broadcast in person and all the, the parts that go with it that are about connection. And, you know, this has been uh, pretty disconnected, you know? Boog, this offseason for the Cubs, it's, it's you have to almost take time to remind Cubs fans that this is a team coming off a division title just right. because of the way that – this has gone, and I think the conversation, present company included, has has uh, has built around a, a series of moves or non-moves that I think have left a lot of people a little bit frustrated or flummoxed or looking for answers. I think you could make the argument that you were the biggest off-season acquisition for the Cubs, no. and uh, and and I say that sort of you know tongue oh, in cheek, but but yeah. you know what I mean. It, there there has been this sense of. Boy, you know what? The Cubs are coming back to defend their division title, but it doesn't feel that way. How good do you think this Cubs team can be? And and do you do you sense that sort of consternation among the Cub fan base? Yeah, I, I sense it. Um, look, being a fan is in part it's about being emotional, and you're connected to your team. And I get it, and I understand it. I definitely sense what you're talking about. Um, I think that this team can be good. I think that this team might be able to win the division because I don't. I think you know Bruce has made this point. I think this division is there for the taking, even with Arenado going to the Cardinals. You know, this is not the Central where you know you had three teams averaging close to 95 wins with the Cardinals, the Pirates, and the Cubs, or the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs. This is going to be, I think, you know, if somebody wins 90, it's yours. Now, that said, I, I do think that the two elite teams in the league reside in the West and the Padres and the Dodgers, and I think that the Mets and the Braves are going to be really good. So I, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a matter of perspective. I would make this other point. I know, and this is hard as a fan to digest, but you'd have to at least concede – and you think about it from the Cubs' standpoint, that solving this is not simple. This team's complicated. They had a group of players that won in 2016, and that position-playing core has been erratic. And so to understand or try and figure out what do you actually have of the group, who are you definitely wanting to invest in long-term, it's not easy to say, and it's still a group that, you know, payroll-wise, it's high. So you're trying to figure out how do we sustain this so that we continue to be good. Um, you know, you can't just throw money on top of money on top of money. So I, they're, it, it, they're in a hard position right now that if it was so clear to, you know, extend all these guys, I, I think that they would have looked at it, it you know, in a, in a harder way. I still think that, you know, one or a couple of them might stick around long term. But, again, it's complicated based on the performance. So I, I think you got to say that, you know, the management is in an interesting spot based on inconsistent performances from core guys. 
That's John Chabi, the voice of the Chicago Cubs on the Marquee Sports Network. You'll start hearing him in spring training rather soon as uh, Marquee will be doing 13 games all from Sloan Park uh, this uh, spring training. Boog, uh, when you you look at uh, the, the top storyline for the Cubs, what would it be in your mind as far as uh, coming into spring training? And if you if you were forced to, as we are sometimes by our producers when I do the marquee network with you, uh, yeah. pick one thing. Uh, what, what what would be that one storyline that you would be watching the most? I mean, I think I, I'm most it, look the the headline. The headline on the team, are, it's the core position players. And I think you'd have to say it's Bryant Rizzo-Baez. And how are Bryant Rizzo and Baez going to perform this year? I think that that's the, that's the thing, right? Because there are guys that have performed at an elite level. Um, you know, you're talking about one guy's won an MVP, one guy's been a runner-up in an MVP, and then the other guy's probably been the most consistent of the three. So I, I, it's... I, I think to see what level of performance they get from those guys, I think is the headline. Look, I, 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 I did the playoff games. Okay. So, I mean, I studied up on what that season was like and I watched them and it doesn't make sense that a team with this group of guys finished 10th out of 15 teams in runs per game. It does not make sense. So I, I think that you'd have to say Bruce, that the headline is how are those guys going to play and how much of a bounce back do they have offensively? How good an offensive team will this be? You know, can they get up to being a middle of the pack team in runs per game? Could they be in the top third? And what type of bounce back do they actually get from those three dudes? I think that's the, the one that I think is probably the, you know, the most interesting, I think. Book, since you took the job, you've been really generous with your time here on the station, and I've always wanted to ask you this, if, if given the opportunity, and here you are. So when, when we heard David Ross become a manager, he was pretty open about, okay, it's going to be very difficult for him to it, – it's an, an adjustment for him to manage his friends, guys who were his teammates, and now he's going to have to be, be a guy who criticizes them, holds them accountable, all these things. And I know everybody knows how your relationship with David Ross is, is one of pretty good friendship, going back to Atlanta and then working together at ESPN. And now you are calling a, you know, as many as 130 of his games where he is a manager and basically his first full season, and you are in Chicago. And I just wonder, has that gone through your mind? Will, will you have to watch yourself? Are you, I, I know that just in the way that you do your job, you're very honest, you're very candid, and, and sometimes – that's great for the audience and is great for who you are, but I wonder if it's great for the people that you're being as candid and honest about. And, and, and has that become something that you've thought about at all, how you will approach basically calling games for one of your good friends? It's a great question. And my answer is no. No, I have not thought about it. But to expand on it, I will tell you, being around David for three years – and working with him, like, in the booth, because we just spent so much time together. Um, I never had a question about his ability to, to manage his friends and give it to them straight. Like, it's just the way David is, he's somebody who leads. His truth is his truth. And one of the things that I love about him is 
I do think that he's always come at it and still does from a place of, look, Anthony Rizzo, if you are not doing it properly, I'm going to tell you that. And that doesn't do anything to erode our friendship. And similarly, I guess there is, I I literally have never thought about it. Is there a chance that I might say something on the air that he is going to be upset about? Yeah, maybe. And he'll tell me. And if I don't agree with him, I'll tell him back. The closest we've come is I've jokingly said to him, you know, don't yell at me. Don't yell at me. And he, you know, as a joke, and he'll, and he'll say, don't ask dumb questions. So, <laughs> I, look, I, 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 it's, it's one of the things, there's, there's no feeling of trepidation on my behalf, and I think I can speak for him, or on his behalf. It's part of what I, I think – in the end makes him good at it and will he'll keep being keep getting better at it and be one of the better managers at it because I don't think I think he's secure enough in himself to say look this is what we need and if he really is upset with me about something that I said he'll tell me now I you know again I I think that we come at it from a, a position of respect with one another and I'm just excited to talk baseball with him but Man, I don't worry about it. I, I know that, look, in the same way that he's willing to, to tell, you know, Anthony Rizzo a hard truth or Chris Bryant, um, I think that if I give it to him and he's not happy and he asks me to explain it, like, I think he's willing to hear that as well. So I, I there's there's nothing about this in that regard that I that I worry about. I really don't. John, the most uh, intriguing, uh, polarizing story that made me very happy and very confused all at the same time was the signing of Fernando Tatis Jr. to a three hundred and forty million dollar contract this week after not even having played a full season. Uh, I think it's great. For, the, for San Diego, the fan base, the sport. And I think at the same time, it destroys the mentality of any of these GMs or owners who want to sign guys like Lindor, Baez, yeah. um, you know, all the great shortstops that are going to be free agents after 2021. And what does that say about the sport itself where they cry poor and say, you know, they've lost so much money and then a small market team like San Diego has two yeah. $300 million signings in three years. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I will tell you this. I, I, I hear you. I hear those, the, the last two things I, I got, I have nothing to, I mean, it's San Diego for goodness sake. I, it would, it would appear they're doing okay. You know, so they clearly, they, they have the money. Um, I would say this to you though, Bruce, that as it relates to the sport, I don't – here's what I would want to get. I, the system needs to change because the one thing that's happened, and, Bruce, you've been covering this a long time, longer than me by a lot, and so you've seen it, you know, and your perspective on it from the advent of, you know, even from free agency, like looking at it that way would be this – is, this would be my point. When free agency started and for the longest time, general managers paid guys based on what they had done. That is never happening again, ever. You have a new group of smart, really talented general managers, the vast majority of them, 
who are paying people based on what they will do. And that's how it should be. The problem with that is this. The zero to three, even zero to six guys get hosed. And then some guys who end up getting, so the seven-year middle-of-the-road type guy really gets Mm -hmm. screwed. The guy that is adding value in year two should be able to make more money than what he's making because the guys who put together six really good years, you know, who are middle reliever, spot starter, but not closer type, not the highest leverage type guys, you know, aren't going to end up getting that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow the way everybody used to get. So do you understand my point in terms of the top yeah, piece? They're paying yeah. him based oh, on what no he's going to do. And to that end, I think that's a good thing because – but I also would say, you know, they've got to figure out a way to, to blow this system up because all these guys that are holding their breath waiting for the end of six years to get paid, okay, so Mookie Betts, fine. But for a lot of these guys, they're going to be holding their breath and they're in a, they're in a, tough, they're in a tough spot yep. for the, you know, the Witten Merrifields or, you know, like I, I, this is a random one, but a guy like for the Yankees, like Chad Green. Jack Green's mm-hmm. a nice pitcher. He kind of gets disappeared in that bullpen, but they use him a lot and work him. And, and again, it's all relative. But, you know, you wonder at the end of it with Chad Green, a couple miles an hour less than his fastball, and he's given MLB six really good years. And then when it's time for him to hit the open market, the payday is not going to be there. So, so I'm, not, I'm not sharpening my point the way I want, but I, but I guess what I want to say is, I do think it is necessary, you know, the Tatis thing is extreme, but for these guys to get paid earlier based on what they can do, um, because none of these guys or very, very few of them, certainly not the amount that used to, are going to get paid on what they have done. Well, I think exactly right, Boog, because you look at this year's free agent market and I guess Trevor Bauer aside, a lot of these guys, their contracts that they have had to sign, the short-term deals with maybe lesser right. money, I know it's pandemic-induced, but it's exactly reflecting what you're referring to, is that what you have accomplished does not mean as much as the potential that your your presence implies and you're getting paid for. So that is evident in the, in the free agent market, I think, as we've seen the, unfold this, this offseason. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, you know, it's. it'll be interesting to see how this all continues to evolve, I guess. Well, we'll let you prepare for Texas, West Virginia. We appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun and look forward to uh, visiting again down the road. God, I am a gas bag. I mean, what did I give you? Three answers? How long-winded am I? I need to work on that. No, that's a perfect guest. Perfect, perfect guest. Bruce got up. Thanks thanks a million. He went and made breakfast. I get you. Thank (laughs) you, guys. Thanks, Boog. Take care, Boog. Thank you. Boog Shambi from the Marquee Sports Network, the new voice of the Cubs. Bruce, that was fun. He's going to be an asset, and I do think that he is, you know, arguably you could make uh, the point that he, he may be among the best acquisitions the Cubs organization has made this offseason. Well, you pointed out something really interesting, David, before we go to break, and uh, our phone lines are going to be open through the rest of the show before we get to Grody and Rosenblum at 11 o'clock, 312-644-6767. But the point you made, David, which was uh, so interesting, you know, is that, he is going to be a guy that takes some people on. And he's not going to be a guy just sitting back and not having an opinion about something. He's going to let the fans know 
when something's right and when something's not right. And uh, I think him and JD are going to be an interesting uh, coupling of guys who uh, bring out, you know, the good when it's good and point out the bad when it's bad. And in that, in that case, uh, I'm really looking forward to his broadcast. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you asked David Ross about some of the relationships that are different now in a pandemic world that we live in moving forward between the media and the Cubs. And it's related to his relationship probably and, and how he will view some of the things that maybe Boog Shambi says in the booth. But we'll look forward to that conversation when we come back. Bruce, 312-644-6767. If you've got a thought, if you've got a question, let Bruce Sarai know. Inside the clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Welcome back to Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score with Bruce Levine. I am David Haw here between 9 and 11, 52 weeks a year talking baseball on the station. Just got done with a very good conversation with Book Shambi, Bruce. And and I do believe that um, when I asked him about his friendship and with David Ross and how that would relate to the way he does his job and, and, and how he, if he's conscious of it at all, I was struck by the fact that he never really considered that. And and I don't have any reason to doubt him. I, I think that probably speaks to why he is such a good broadcaster is because he is, you know, he, he doesn't really <laughs> worry about things that um, he shouldn't worry about and doesn't let things get in the way. He is humorous. He is insightful. And I think that he will take the same approach, whether or not the manager of the Chicago Cubs is one of his really good friends that he's known for a long time or not. You know, you add on to that, David, the idea that you've built your credibility by putting time into these relationships. You put time into talking to people. You build a trust with them. You build a credibility. That's what uh, John has done over his career. That's what uh, hopefully, you know, the people who are best uh, in the media do to uh, be able to enhance the coverage so that you can deliver what, whatever product you're delivering, uh, whether it's on the air or writing or whatever. Uh, that comes through because of that trust that you've built with people and the knowledge that, uh, you know, if David Ross hears something that John Chambi says that's a little bit negative, that uh, there might be some credence to it because of the fact that this is a guy that pays attention to his homework, does it, pays attention to his relationships, does that well. Uh, those are all part and parcel to being who you are and why you end up with a job that huge job that he has with Marquis. And Bruce, you know, it's tricky. I mean, over the years, and uh, your experiences are, are more vast and, and long than, longer than mine, but we both have been in situations where you, you want to maintain that professionalism. And I don't want to say that it's compromised, but certainly challenged by the fact that you have personal relationships and you develop connections with people that sometimes – their understanding of the job that you have to do is going to be different than the way that you do interpret that responsibility. And and nobody expects everyone to agree all the time. That's naive. And so it's different, I think, when you're a broadcaster in a booth calling a game than maybe if you're a reporter around the team on a regular basis and depending on what your role is, whether you're you know, a beat writer, a columnist, whether you're a reporter or a host, these kinds of things are kind of nuanced differences, but it does all speak to this. The repetition, the, the, the day-after-day relationships that you're able to develop are, are important to the job that you, that you do, and those, those realities have changed, and that's why I thought, and look, this is what we're getting to, 
you asked David Ross a really interesting question about the, the relationships with the media and how different they are this year. And, and this was how he responded, Bruce, to to your question. And I don't, I don't, you know, have any inclination of how to do you guys' job and what best suits you. So um, I think there's a happy medium for what everybody wants somewhere of, of maybe not the extreme of where we really don't get to develop relationships with you guys and, and interact with you guys. Like that was something that I valued as a player um, and being around uh, the media members that are there, especially the ones that are there every day. And then also now being in this job where we're separated, but I know a lot of, there's a lot of familiar faces. So um, I don't know if that's a, a, you know, finding a happen medium between the two is probably what I would be my comfort zone. But uh, again, um, I'm in a different seat now. I don't want to speak for the players or for you guys, but that's just my opinion. How's it changed your job, Bruce? Oh, it's made it much more difficult. And, and uh, you know, again, uh, David Ross responding to my question about uh, now that as reporters since last year and into this year, we can't develop any personal relationships with players or coaches or managers because we don't have any one-on-one time. Everything's done on Zoom. Uh, so he responded that way. And my, my job is, is totally impacted. You know, look, uh, if I pride myself on anything over the many years I've been doing this is my personal relationships with people and uh, them confiding in me and giving me, uh, you know, the the chance to go out there and report inside information, things that are going on, uh, bringing up new subjects, new ideas uh, from individuals, being able to uh, add on to conversations like you and I would have on this show uh, because of the knowledge I have now, I'm subject to getting the same information everybody else's. And, uh, you know, one-on-ones are rare if never happening. Um, and that's that's why it's, it's great for for our show and uh, Matt Spiegel when he does uh, uh, hit and run on Sundays starting very soon uh, when spring training starts that uh, we can bring people on to talk about uh, questions that we have. But that is not available to most reporters right now. And uh, in the long run, David, the, the, the worry is by BBWAA and uh, other media outlets is that mm-hmm. this will continue on even when we can go back to seeing people again, that they will incorporate some of these rules to limit access so uh, fans will not be able to share in all that information that we throw their way. Here's the paradox, I think, too. And I think it's something that is maybe a little inside baseball, but, hey, we are in the, inside the clubhouse uh, 9 to 11 every, every Saturday morning. Look, the teams benefit from that insight that the media gets and, and that they – develop those relationships they benefit from that even in ways that they they don't want to acknowledge they may feel that it's an intrusion of their privacy at times and a pain in the butt and a nuisance at others but frankly the better you are at your job and the reason that you are for an example i'm talking to you so let's use you as an example the reason you have been able to do what you have done at a high level for such a long time is because people have let you in and they have let you have you know, insight into their thinking and maybe some information at times. And so the fans benefit from that, but so does the team because information, is, you know, knowledge is power. And it's better to know what we're seeing and interpreting that than, than to be on the outside wondering and speculating on nonsense. So I wonder moving forward, are teams going to be, be thrilled that there's not going to be that kind of intrusion any longer? Or are there some people still within the organization that recognize the value and are going to be disappointed that things have changed maybe forever. 
Look, this is more a players association than ownership. Okay, you have to understand this negotiation that's going to take place in December for a new CBA is all predicated uh, by the Players Association and not necessarily what all the players think, because they don't, that uh, less media in clubhouses, less information getting out is a better form of protection for their players. They don't need protection for their players. These are grown men. These are people that take care of themselves. They talk when they want to talk. They don't talk when they don't want to talk. They don't need to be protected from us. What the sport needs is uh, the, the information out there and the uniqueness about some of that information being out there that makes fans still more interested in baseball than any other sport because it's a sport that travels for seven months, sometimes eight, and you need all that extra information to keep people interested. That's the difference in baseball compared to the other sports. 200 games a year, seven months out of the year. So if, if you want to hurt the game, and again, I, I, it sounds self-serving, but I think I'm objective enough to know the difference between being able to get information out on your sport, being good for the sport and good for those individuals as to uh, people doing business like uh, the NFL, uh, where they just want to shut everything off uh, because they already know they have the attention of the fan every Sunday. It's the most popular sport in the world. Well, you've lived it. You've proved it. And I think that is a, a point worth making and well put, Bruce, because of the way that baseball is sort of more of an extended conversation on a daily basis, more than the other sports are allowed to, sure. or frankly, that they welcome. So that is well put. That what is what, are, what we they have to say. protecting themselves yeah. from, David? I mean, you know, you answer well, that question. You know, what would what would someone why would you want to protect a player? These are grown men. They will, they will learn from experiences, good and bad, just like we do in every walk of life. Why would you protect the player? Why would you There's protect a sensitivity, the though, Bruce, that players these days probably are a little bit more re- reactive and responsive and sensitive to criticism or perceived criticism. Maybe it's the age of social media where we are all just a tad bit meaner. And maybe, maybe it is just a baseball versus football versus NBA thing. I, I'm not quite sure, but I do think that it, it does harm the sport in terms of the, the way fans are able to get information on a limited basis. You know, And everybody is basically homogenizes the coverage of it, which I don't think is good, good for everybody or anybody. Agreed. So. All right, Bruce, that is what we have to say. We have been talking a lot. Let's get to the callers. Let's get to the people who are listening. 312-644-6767. You're out there, Mike. You're out there, Otto. You're out there, Joe. We will get to you when we come back. We promise. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Come back with us. Take you to the top of the hour until we get to Saturday Suckage with Mark Grody and Steve Rosenblum. I just like saying Saturday Suckage every week, Bruce. It's a lot of fun. Bruce Levine, I'm David Haw. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. In an ideal world, we would perform really well, and we would be on the, you know, be on the buy side of the deadline and be, and be focused you know, entire, you know, on, on maximizing 21, you know, but I, I think you know, that that's the best scenario. If, if you know, if we struggle or, or, or for, you know, not in the, in, in the race to win the division, then we have to, we have to think about different things. And I, I've said a number of times, I think that's, that's one of the hardest decisions that uh, a president or GM has to make is, is when to, when to, to, to stick with this team, when to push in on this team and then when to, 
to think about the future. And I think, yeah, obviously the team's performance and, and the standings are going to determine that. But it, it, it is a difficult decision, but it's, it's a critically important one. Welcome back to Inside the Clubhouse. Bruce Vine with David Haw here until 11 o'clock. That was the voice of Jed Hoyer talking about trying to thread the needle. He was on earlier this week with the Bernstein and Rahimi show, Dan and Layla, weekdays 9 to noon. And that is uh, something that was very interesting. Good interview from Jed. Bruce, we will get to the phone calls, but what was your overall takeaway from what Jed had to say on the station and the tone he set for this season for, for the Cubs this week? Well, I, th- I think he, I think he's, you know, standing up for himself a little bit in the organization by saying, you know what, uh, uh, and, and this is more subliminal. Uh, I don't think in words, but he's saying, uh, we, we, we believe what we're doing is good. We believe that we're going to have a good team. We, we believe we're going to win the, this division uh, and still get younger and better going forward. We believe that maybe we can sign some of our um, free agents. You know, whether it, would be free agents, whether it's Baez or Bryant or Rizzo or Kimbrell. So uh, it's not all doom and gloom from a winter that uh, they have certainly gotten bashed. There, there's no no doubt they've they've taken a beating, and a lot of it is comparative to uh, what's going on on the South Side with a with a young team adding on and uh, adding depth to what appears to be a, a World Series challenger. So from all of that, I, I think uh, I think he's feeling better about himself, standing up and. And saying, look, uh, we're we're a team that won a division last year, whether you whether you know it or not. We're a team that uh, had a 500 or better record every year since 2015. We've been in the playoffs five or six times. I, I think uh, we have nothing to hide from. The Score Listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit visit BetQL.com. Let's go there. Let's talk to Mike in Lakeview. Mike, welcome inside the clubhouse. Guys, good morning, and I have a Sox question for you, Bruce. Um, you know, the Sox are talking world championship, and, and that's great, and that's wonderful, but it seems to me they they pulled up short at the end of the winter uh, and that we still need a, a right fielder or, or an outfielder who can come in when Eloy and Eaton both get injured, and every Sox fan knows they will get injured, and we still don't have a fifth start. Well, it's true. I mean, come on. Let's, let's, you know, no, no, gonna, I'm not. I'm laughing. I'm laughing at the irony of the truth, and I'm not laughing at your question. Yeah, it's true. And then we don't have a fifth starter, and, and it's frustrating to see all the, you know, and I know we're talking about middle-of-the-road free agents and guys on one-year contracts, but all the activity across the major leagues, everybody's picking up somebody, um, and we're seem to be standing pat. And I, I love Adam Engel, uh, but he can't play two positions at the same time, and the thought of somebody realistically suggesting Carlos Rodon as our fifth or sixth starter, are the Sox just shut down or are they waiting uh, to pick their spot for one more or guide it? You know, what are they going to do for the rest of the spring? What can we expect to fill those holes or do they have holes? Am I wrong? David, mm-hmm. uh, and, and thanks for your call, Mike. It's a, it's a really good question. And I think the, 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 the cool thing about the question for me, David, is, expectations are so greatly high now for the White Sox who've been down for so long that it, it makes me feel good as a Chicagoan that their fan base can feel good about the, their team to the point where, let's say, you know, can't we get Babe Ruth? I mean, isn't he available <laughs> at this point? Well, I mean, my first uh, reaction, and, and again, you know, I, I welcome the phone call. We, we, I think you embrace the expectations if you're the White Sox and their fan base. 
I don't look at their pitching rotation and have a lot of worry, Bruce. And I know that maybe, you know, I don't know if that's overly optimistic or not. And I understand why people want to be, uh, want to have the perfect rotation with no no questions at all. But I think in terms of when you want to when you're putting things together on, a, on any roster, I think in any sport, you you want to have the the right blend of guys who have produced and guys who still have potential, young and old, old and new. These kind of things. They make, they make a team work, and you can't do everything and spend in every slot on your roster. So in the White Sox rotation, I look at the fourth and fifth starter possibilities, and I get, as I've told Moley a couple times this week, when I look at Dylan Seats and Michael Kopech, I get as excited and intrigued as I look at Dallas Keuchel and Lucas Giolito, not because of I think that they're better than those two, but because we have yet to see what they're capable of. And that, to me... It's exciting, and that to me says if I'm the White Sox and Rick Hahn, I don't want to go get a, a placeholder. I don't want to go get a guy who may or may not pan out on a one-year $7 million contract to slide in at number four in the rotation. I want to see Cease, and I want to see Kopech, and I want to see them every fifth day. And you can throw Lopez in there too. Uh, and okay. what, what is the situation that's similar between Kopech and uh, Cease and Lopez? The, the situation that's similar is – the problem is between the ears, okay? That is what they have to solve most. The stuff is off the chart on all of them. Lopez has tremendous stuff. Uh, Cease has a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, which was ranked fourth in baseball for starting pitchers last year as far as hitting that number almost uh, 97, 98 more than anyone else, and a wipeout slider. The situations for those two guys, and it'll be remain to be seen for Kopech, who's missed two years, is between the ears. It's in the head. The, the, the ability to go out there and believe in yourself when things go poorly. That's why Ethan Katz has been brought in. Uh, that, that's why uh, they have changed some of their philosophy there. Because as great as Don Cooper was, and he certainly was one of the greatest pitching coaches of the last 25 years, no doubt about it, uh, the message wasn't getting through to these guys. So there, there's a change there, and we will see if Ethan Katz can impact this. I agree with you. I think stuff-wise, they have plenty to go around, including Carlos Rodon coming back and hopefully being healthy for the first time in six years. Let's go back to the listener line and talk to Otto, who is in Westmont. Good morning, Otto. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Uh, Dave, you sound great. I love the show since you came, became a part of it. Uh, looking forward to many more weeks of hearing your Thank voice you. on Saturday mornings. I had a, pre- a question, though, specifically for uh, Dave. You can jump in any time, but it was specifically for Bruce. Uh, Bruce, when I look at the Cubs organization, I see a, uh, a massive company in a giant media market uh, with tons of potential to earn money, particularly when this pandemic, which which is ending, uh, particularly when it ends, they own all these properties in and along Gallagher Way. They're getting my and other subscribers' money from the Marquee Network. And yet I've heard ownership and now recently Jed Hoyer say that 70% of their money comes from fans in the seats. And I heard you on Dan Bernstein's show say that it was a fact that the Cubs make 70% of their profits from fans coming through the gates and being in the seats. I just want to ask you, where did you get that number? Is that from management and ownership? That is uh, direct journalism. Was there some journalism done on your part 
to find out. No that- journalism. No journalism. Tom Ricketts came out and made that point. He's made it over twice. Uh, and uh, the journalistic part is I've confirmed it with other people in the organization that 70% of their gross revenues come from game day, not just tickets, not people just walking into the into the uh, stands, but uh, from the fan experience in that neighborhood, in that ballpark, uh, you know, that is that is the truth. And it's and it's also true, David, for other big market teams like the Yankees and Red Sox and Dodgers. They depend uh, greatly well, on the, yeah. the the fan experience showing up. Absolutely. And Otto, let me jump in and, and to offer a bit of journalism here. So. Last May, I wrote about this on 670thescore.com, and, and you're right to be skeptical. I, I would be if I were a Cub fan. I wouldn't want to believe the, this, this either. But when you look at and you compare, let's say the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are the one team because of Liberty Media. They do have to file publicly because of the publicly held sports franchise information that gives you a glimpse of what the Cubs are up against. And maybe it's a more comparable uh, apples to apples comparison. So in 2019, the the Braves had a record $476 million in revenue. According to this filing after that year, 63%, 63% of that was attributed to game day revenue. And the Braves were 12th in attendance based on that. The Cubs were fourth. They had 6,000 more fans per game than the Braves who who were saying that 63% of their revenue was attributed to game day revenue. So it's not far-fetched and it's not out of whack to think that based on those numbers, the Cubs could claim 70% of their revenue is from the game day experience. That's the journalism that backs up those claims. That does that You don't have to buy that, but I think that you'd be naive to ignore it. And I think that is why we have these sort of discussions about, yeah, you're right, we get it. They don't have the revenue they've had at one point. You still would like to see them be a little more aggressive. That's my opinion. But it's all fair in terms of looking at it in, in a way that, have, that those numbers aren't just fabricated. Look, David, uh, you know, a great point and great backing up with the factual numbers. The, the fact is, if, if the Cubs gross $500 million, uh, people are already saying you, you're making too much money, okay? And then when you take... When you take 30% off of that or 70% off of that, and you lose, uh, and you you lose 140 million off of that in one year, people aren't going to feel bad for you because you're you're a billionaire owner, you're a million, uh, you're a, a billionaire franchise, and they expect you to keep up with all the good things you've done for them over the past uh, 10 years as the owner. Tom Ricketts said from the very beginning, his first press conference, we're going to win a World Series. We're going to take all the money that we get from this, throw it back into uh, the ballpark and the franchise, and uh, we're going to be consistently good for a long period of time. Uh, He followed through with all of that. He brought in a general manager president that followed through with all that. Now, like every franchise, and just ask people in Philadelphia, San Francisco, or Detroit what it's like after six years of competing, and then all of a sudden your farm system can't keep up with it. And you're not a good team anymore. The Cubs are trying to avoid not being a good team for a long period of time by making some changes now. Let's squeeze in one more phone call. Joe is in St. Charles. Welcome inside the clubhouse, Joe. Good morning. Um, With regards to contracts, you know, it seems to me that, like, guys, 
they should be negotiating like a period of time with a built-in min-max based on performance. So you don't get stuck with Albert Pujols for 15 years and stuff like that. Does that make sense? In an ideal world, David, you Joe, can take that. yeah. But collectively bargaining that, good luck, because that is not what the Players Association is going to agree to. It's one of the most powerful unions in all of sports, Bruce, and I just don't think it's very realistic to expect it. Well, you know, it's going to be tough because, uh, you know, everything screams uh, salary cap and salary bottom, you know, for keeping Major League Baseball uh, in, in, in time and in tune to what's going on reality-wise as far as money goes. And as you said, uh, baseball is the only sport where the players do not have a salary cap, and they're going to hold firm to that. It's going to be a tough negotiation in December when they try to get a new CBA. Before we get out of here, Bruce, quickly looking ahead, what is the big story you think uh, or stories that we're going to be following this week? I know that we'll be talking to you you know, throughout the week on the Mullen and Haw Show. You'll be on all the other shows. You are on Twitter. You are everywhere, 670thescore.com. What do you think the big uh, next step will be for the Cubs and the White Sox? Well, the position players report Monday, so that's the storyline, David. You know, the, uh, the core three, the core four, what they used to be as far as free agents for the Cubs – uh, possibly of 2021. The young and upcoming great young players with the White Sox. That'll be your storyline. And David, we have people to thank, including our good friend John Shambi, who joined us for the new voice of the Marquee Network, as well as uh, Cody Hoyer, the bullpen pitcher for the White Sox. David, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine and writing on the score with the Cubs uh, on the score, score uh, website every day, 670thescore.com, Cubs and White Sox as well. You have a great week. Thanks very much to our producer as well. Brandon Fryer did a great job getting us on the air. Bruce, thank you for your time, patience, and for getting those guests on our show. That is the music they are playing us off the stage next. Stay tuned for Saturday Suckage with Mark Grody and Steve Rosenblum for Bruce Levine. I'm David Hoff. Thank you for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. We'll be back next Saturday, 9 to 11, right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.